I am Jeremy Allen, and I'm reading from John 5, 16 to 21. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, you got me. Good to see you this afternoon as we put our heads into this part of God's Word. If you just joined us today, uh, you joined us on a fantastic day. This is a really meaty part of the Bible. I'm going to pray that God might help us understand. Father, thank you for your Word to us. We pray that you might help us understand what you can Give us hearts and minds that respond rightly to your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. I don't know what process you went through when you finished school and thought about what will I do uh, while you're at school, or what will I do when I finish school, what will I become in life? And I don't know most of you, but I know that all of you, at some point in your thinking, thought, maybe I'll do what my mum and dad did. Even if it was just a very short, short amount of time, I know that you thought it, because every kid does. So they know when they first grow up is what their mum and dad did. And some of you have thought, I seriously, I think I would like to become an accountant. Um, and you're doing that at the moment. Perhaps. And some of you have thought, there's no way in the world I'll ever become a teacher. That's the last thing in the world I ever want to do is become a teacher like my parents are. And others of you have gone full circle and resigned yourself to the fact that actually you are going to become a teacher because there's nothing else really to do with your last degree that you started. <laughs> we all 
are confronted with the reality of what are we going to do in, in, in relation to, am I going to be like my parents? And some of, we just, there's no way in the world I'm going to be like my parents. I'm going to stay right away from that degree. One of the things I'm fascinated by is visiting little towns where they have like factories, like the factory in the town or the, the business, and it's run by one family. And everybody who works there, they're all from like one family. You know, they have like a little thing where you can go in and see that they, what they do and they cheese. And you go in and you watch them and you're introduced to the whole process and you walk through and everyone looks the same. Um, and you're told by the tour guide that they're all from the same family. And you know, up on the walls, the founder, they like father cheese, um, mother cheese, and all the other little cheeses. factory. <laughs> Some people are fascinated by the process that's happening. How do these people work together and live together all their lives? It's impossible. Surely it's impossible. In this passage, we're introduced to a family, I'm going to call it, the metaphor of family, at least, who are working in a family business. It's the father and the son. And I'm using this metaphor uh, deliberately, and we'll use it throughout the talk to describe what's happening here with this, uh, with the father and the son, with God and his son Jesus. It's introduced, this, this teaching that Jesus gives us here is introduced by the topic of work. The setting that we're in is that Jesus has just been accused of breaking the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day when you're not supposed to do any work. Well, Jesus has just done some work on the Sabbath. And if you've been in faculty groups, small groups, studying the first part of this passage, passage you'll know what that was what Jesus actually did. If you haven't never read it, you'll have to join a faculty group. But he's really got people uh, angry because, and they're persecuting him because he's done work on the Sabbath. And so what we get introduced to here, or what we have before us, is Jesus explaining to these people who are persecuting him, in fact, seeking to kill him, verse 18, is his explanation of what's happening and why he's doing it. And so, point to A, um, seeing and doing. Jesus said to them, these ones who are seeking to kill him, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that son, that the son does likewise. In one sense, Jesus is saying, don't blame me, I'm just doing what the Father does. I do nothing of my own accord. Only what the Father, he sees the Father doing. And for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Here we're given a pretty insight, as we will throughout this passage, into the nature of God the Father and God the Son. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus says, let me introduce myself and tell you something about myself. The Father and the Son are doing the one work. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. It's not just a, not just a factory process. It's not just a, a, a force of nature. It's not just something that's 
um, designed into their being. It's a relationship of personality, of love, where the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. What we see here is that the father and the son are on the same page in what they're doing. There's You can't drive a wedge between them. You can't play one off against the other, like some of you try and play your parents off against the other. And you know exactly how you do that. In my house, it used to be growing up, never ask mum, always ask dad. Uh, and dad would say, go and ask your mother. And go and ask your mother and say, I went and asked dad and he said it would be okay. <laughs> Which might have been um, playing with the truth a little bit. Um, and is that okay? And then she'd say, no, it's not. And go give dad a grilling because he said it was okay. Um, but you, you can't do that with this. They, there's no distance between them. They're not rivals to each other, this father and this son. There's no animosity between these two, this father and this son. Verse, uh, jump through to chapter 10 and verse 28. Further explaining his relationship to the Father, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who is, uh, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There you see Jesus affirming again, and you'll see it again and again. There's a there's a oneness to this relationship between the Father and the Son. There's a there's a unity, but yet they're distinct from each other. The Father and the Son are united, but distinct. And this uh, this idea was an idea that was wrestled with throughout the first sort of couple of centuries of the Christian church, where you saw that the teaching was that the Father and the Son are one. We're learning new things about God because in Old Testament uh, belief, there is one God, fiercely monotheistic, there is one God. And now, with Jesus' teaching, how do we deal with this understanding that the Father is God and that the Son is God? What does, what's the nature of their oneness? And we still have one God. And so the early centuries saw some bad ways of trying to understand this and deal with it. So you'll maybe call some of these things called... And I do this as a plastic team. We're going to actually look at the Trinity in teams starting next week. Is that right, James? Well, not next week, but the week after the break. Um, things like modalism or adoptionism or Arianism. Um, modalism is the one that says, well, that there is only one God. That's what they're fighting for. Good, good, tick, one God. But God shows himself in different modes. So in the Old Testament, he's like the Father. He's the, like the Yahweh. God of the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, it's like he changes masks almost, changes modes, and he's, you see him as the Son. And then after the Son is resurrected and raised, and the Spirit is sent, God reveals himself as the Spirit, all the one all the one God, just in different modes. Now, they were trying their best, well, I don't know if they were trying their best, they were trying to understand the oneness of, of God and yet the threeness, and that, that, that's actually a heresy. Because, yes, they are one, but they're distinct. And you, you only need to read the account of Jesus' baptism, where you have the, the voice from heaven saying, this is my son. 
uh, and the Spirit descends on Jesus uh, like a dove. There you have the three persons of the Trinity. They're not swapping roles somewhere along the way. They're all there together involved. I'll let um, team work through the, the rest of those um, heresies. Just make sure you don't fall into them. Uh, that's a bad thing. But they're trying to um, wrestle with how do we understand what Jesus is saying here? Uh, and I hope that you wrestle with that for yourself um, rather than just reading a theological textbook because we're actually introduced in, uh, in John's Gospel to some wonderful things that Jesus says about himself. And notice that it's not happening in like a textbook environment. Jesus isn't giving a lecture to his disciples. It's actually to those who are opposing him. Uh, we tend to think like theology is and the teaching of it or the doing of it. You do it in a classroom somewhere. Well, you can do that. But here Jesus is doing it in opposition to those who are opposing him. Jesus' argument is that they're working together. Uh, the loving and showing uh, says, shows that they're distinct and have different roles. And so by the end of John's Gospel, um, you see that it's the Father who appoints, it's the Son who accomplishes, and it's the Spirit who applies uh, the work that they're all doing together. Well, this has all been prompted by seeing that God is at work. And Jesus says, there's more. Wait, there's more. Uh, chapter 20, second part. And greater works than these will he show you, so that you may marvel. What are these greater works? Uh, the greater works that, well, what are the works that Jesus is talking about? Um, the works that he did earlier on in the chapter. Who can tell me what that was? Who's done this already in their small group? That Jesus did earlier on in the chapter. He healed a man who couldn't work for 38 years. Yeah, exactly. Now he's saying, you'll see greater things. What are the greater things? He doesn't go on to explain it out here, does he? What are the greater things? Um, well, hold off on that, but why? Or what's the outcome of these greater things? I'll let you do a little bit of work. What does Jesus say is going to be the outcome? seeing these greater things. You can do it. You can yell it out. Oh, isn't it that clear? So, so, that so that I may marvel. So that you may marvel. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Uh, so that you, so that your opponents that I'm talking to, may marvel. Now, is that meant to be positive or negative? Is that like a good thing? So that you'll go, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Or is it so that you'll marvel like, this is crazy, I don't understand what's happening here, I'm astonished. What is it meant to be? And why doesn't he say, like we might expect if you've been getting to know John's Gospel, we'll do these things so that you may believe. It doesn't. These things will be done so that you may marvel. Why not believe? Well, you'll have to keep wrestling with that. Uh, and as we move on through John's Gospel, which, by the way, we're not coming back to next semester now, but uh, there you go. That'll leave you hanging to come back for more. 
But it leads Jesus into explaining that further up this family business. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives life, gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father raises the dead and gives life. Well, that the Father, God the Father, is the life maker. It's sort of, sort of fundamental Sunday school theology, isn't it? God made the world, God made everything, God made people, God gave life to all the animals, God breathed life into humans. Theology 101. There's nothing new there. But where does the Father raise the dead? But Jesus seems to assume that they know that. Uh, he says, as the Father raises the dead. Like, you know how the Father raises the dead. What's Jesus referring to? What is he wanting them to think back to that they already know? Are there people like running around in Jerusalem at the moment who were dead? And they go, you know those people that are running around? You know, as the Father's raised them. What's the thing that he's referring to? Anyone got any ideas? That's why you should come to Mid-Year Conference, uh, because we actually find out about the God who raises the dead and what it looks like to raise the dead. Because Jesus has something in mind as he talks to these Jewish leaders and he expects them to understand as well. Uh, but the incredible claim here is that the Son is a life giver just like the Father. He will give life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Not just because his Father tells him to, tells him what to do, though he does. The Son does the Father's will out of obedience to his Father, but because he independently wants to, out of his own will. Now here you go, here's a chance to wrestle a bit with some of these ideas, with the people that you already have met and talked to. Uh, this might be a new thing for you, but how does verse 21, that we're just looking at, fit with what is said in verse 19? Okay. The son giving life to whom he will, in verse 21, and the son can do nothing of his own accord. They sound like a bit contradictory. Or are they? Have a wrestle with that with the person um, next to you and see what you can come up with. I'm not going to 
Okay. Um, who, who thought there's no real contradiction here at all? I'm not sure what you're saying. Okay, so you all thought they might have. Well, okay. Potentially. Alrighty, well, tell us what you're thinking. If he follows the father's example, as you put it, um, is he then is he doing his work, his own will then? In verse 21, yeah. The son gives life to whom he will. Because it's interesting, he, according to verse 19, he should say, the son gives life to whom the father wills. But he says, he gives life to whom he wills. Yeah? Yeah, they do. And you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Um, did anyone else want to throw in what they what they said? Yeah, Jay. Yeah. I'm still not sure. Um, so I guess it's a, it's a bit of a I have a clinical impression that it's like both father and the son because they're on the same page. So I guess it goes back to what you were saying earlier that they're both on the same page. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They are both on the same page. Not because Jesus has to be, but because he wants to be. Uh, his own will is to do the will of the Father. And so his own will is to do the will of the Father such that he doesn't, he, the Son chooses not to do anything of his own accord. Quite happily and independently chooses to do nothing. Um, of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Which is incredible for us, because we just don't think like that. Most of us just want to be independent. And the idea of doing what our parents tell us to do, um, or that we would think the same as them, oh my goodness, is the furthest thing from good. But let me commend to you that this is very, very good. The God that we serve and worship is the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit not wrestling with each other, not at odds with each other in some cosmic battle, but they're on the same page. They're on the same page gladly, willingly. For what purpose, though? Well, it's for the purpose of not being, not judging, but giving life. Jesus keeps teaching uh, about the relationship of the Father and the Son in relation to uh, judgment and honouring, we see. So, point D, 2D, uh, 20, verse 22. The, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. So the judgment 
is all in the hands of the Son. The Father judges no one. Now again, for those of you who've been with us in John's Gospel, um, I used to begin to think, hang on a tip, I thought I read something different a few weeks ago. In where? Where did we read something different to this? That's right. It's in John 3.17. You guys need a break. You really do need a break. Don't come next week. Have a week off. <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hang on. Which is true? God did not send his son into the world, but yet he has handed all judgment to the Son. So which is it? Jesus come into the world to condemn the world or not condemn the world? What's what's happening here? One of the lovely things with John's Gospel is you have these very black and white statements of Jesus which are fantastic and true, but they're left with us to wrestle with um, what's actually true. Alright? Another time, chance to wrestle. I'm not, I won't give you very long on this one. Um, but how do you reconcile John 3.17 with John 5.22 and 23? Mm. Okay. Um, I'm one hang for you for you for a little bit, but does anyone want to anyone work out what they think about how those two might go together? Right, okay. Good, thank you for that. I'll leave that there. Um, maybe we'll come back to it. But good, good thinking. Notice, along with judgment, point D, also, uh, E is honouring. So, the reason that God hands over judgment to the Son um, is uh, so that all may honour the Son, sorry, this is still verse 22, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Uh, it's not that the Father is disinterested in judgment or uninvolved in the judgment, but all of this judgment occurs in relation to Jesus and the honouring of Jesus. Uh, now, we can't look into how all this, how all this works, but... Uh, what it means is that everything that God is doing in the world, uh, everything that God is doing with, in terms of judgment in the world, is happening in relation to Jesus. Uh, there's no other sort of 
side door entrance into the business, into the into the into the family, into what God is doing. It's all happening through Jesus. Uh, we would like to think that maybe there are many parts to God. Maybe there, there's lots of different ways that you can do life and still end up in heaven. You can still end up living with God. Well, I'd love to be able to say that, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, uh, you'll be able to end up with God in the end. But God is saying the only way to him is through the Son and honouring the Son. But when I recognise that my assessment of the way things should be, when I test the assessment who those are that should get into a relationship with God, um, I'm very uh, biased in my judgment because there's certain people that I think, oh no, they, they don't belong uh, with God. No, they can't be in there. Um, there are other people that I think, well, they should be, perhaps they shouldn't. Our whole way of assessing people and judging people is more about our heart and about our biases than it does about what is actually right and good. Because our judgment stinks. Because as we've seen, we are under death. We are under death. Which is why we need the work of the Father and the Son to grant life. That's point three. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What's happening? It's those who hear Jesus' words and believe that it's not seeing his great miracles and marvelling, but it's those who hear his word and believe will come to eternal life. In fact, you've passed not into judgment, but into life. It's not by studying, it's not by examining, it's not by doing a PhD in philosophy or a PhD in theology, it's not by analysing God or analysing, it's about hearing Jesus' words and trusting him. And so Jesus explains how it is that we have life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, when did this happen? When did the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and live? I heard Ezekiel here. But it's an hour that is coming and is now here. Um, there's, an, there's an hour from the past when God spoke but the hour is coming and is now here when all who hear the voice of the Son of God and will live get forward to um, chapter 10 in John which we don't get a chance to do until next semester now but you actually see a real dead person who hears the voice of the Son of God and who lives but that's just a, an image of what is happening and what Jesus and the Father are doing together as the Son speaks and speaks life into people. 
because verse 26 for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself now this is the sort of verse you need to um, memorize and dwell on for a couple of months um, and go away and spend some time on for as the father has life in himself how does the father have life in himself I mean, we learn that God is eternal. Uh, we learn that God has no beginning and no end. Uh, he's always been. His life is, his existence is life. It's, it's, it's always been there. It's self-existence, eternal existence before creation, dependent on no one and nothing. That's how the Father has life in himself. And here we're told that he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. How can the Son have eternal existence, no beginning, no end, in himself, which is granted by the Father? This is why you should come to team. Um, it's a thing that's called the eternal generation of the Son. Uh, and it's understanding the depth of the relationship there is between the Son and the Father. And it might sound like oh, it's all just sort of philosophy and, and words and, and trying to understand difficult things. But all of this that we have before us is about Jesus mounting a case for why it should be believed. And why it's worthwhile believing him. And in fact, if you don't believe him and hear his word and trust in who he is, you don't pass from death to life. Because the family business that we're looking through the little window into is not us looking in at what they're doing, but we are the ones who are actually in the shop, so to speak who are being brought from death to life by the Father and the Son. That the Father and the Son work together as one means that there's an assurance for us that we can be brought from death to life. As we hear the voice of the Son of God, as his word is spoken to us, we can come to life. We can trust and we can be sure that that is secured, not just for a few days while we're feeling good, not for the rest of the semester while, you know, we're really hacking through our work, but for eternity that is secured for us in the very nature of God himself, such that we pass from judgment into life. Well, where are you? Are you a part of what God is doing? Are you believing in the Son and trusting Him. And I pray that we might be people who hear God, hear the voice of the Son of God and indeed live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who you have sent into the world so that we may have life, such that we do not reach condemnation, but indeed may have life with you secured into eternity because you love the Son and the Son is obedient to you.
give us understanding of yourself such that we might know you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Can you give me a prayer? Jane's going to pray for us. Let's keep praying. Dear Lord, thank you for the message that was brought to us today from Rob. Um, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in John this um, first half of the semester. And we look forward to more of the next semester and what's to come this semester. Um, Lord, please help us to recognise Jesus as God. Please help us to know that he is the Son of God and is equal with God. Um, and that he has ability um, given from God to judge um, and to give life. Help us, like Jesus, to act in accordance with your will um, through your spirit and help us to discern your will from your word that you have so blessed us with. God, we pray for those who are poor and downtrodden in our community and across the world. Um, we pray that we as Christians um, have a heart to help and serve them um, and that we would uh, love them the way that Jesus loved the people that he lived amongst. Um, we also pray for people who are living in tough situations, whether that be um, spiritually or mentally or physically. We pray especially for countries that are still suffering with COVID-19. Um, we thank you all that we've been relatively blessed um, in Australia and have um, not faced as such severe restrictions and um, you know, the effects of the disease, but we pray for those who are still battling it, that um, you would be amongst um, those people who are in charge and that you would be working through them um, yeah, to resolve this. And we know that it is because of sin that things like this happen in our world. And we pray that um, that would be at the centre of what we try to uh, preach to others, that this is the main problem and not the disease. God, we also pray for churches in our local areas um, and across the world. We pray that they will be places of refuge and safety um, and just fellowship between people. Um, we also pray for the upcoming conference, NYC. Um, we thank you that we're able to have it relatively back to normal. We pray, Lord, that um, restrictions would stay eased so that we may sing and glorify you together. And we pray that the planning of this would go smoothly um, and that it would be just an incredible time of getting to know you better and uh, yeah, joining the fellowship together there. Um, and Lord, we pray that in all of the things we do here on campus or in our um, personal lives, that we would be honouring you and would be remembering that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we should live accordingly. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.